Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter. I'm Dan Krawczyk. Uh, Just a reminder, uh, we have a forthcoming book entitled Understanding Behavioral Biases, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision-Making, which is all about some of these biases that can undermine your performance and the basis for those within our brains and how it impacts our lives. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about passive investing uh, and uh, the benefits that can basically be taken advantage of uh, from a behavioral standpoint. And this applies to um, passive index tracker funds, which can be a very good move to use, and also the area of quantitative investing as well, or algorithm trading perhaps, where you're explicitly taking the human element out of the equation with these approaches. And we've talked a lot about the different human biases that get contributed based on all manner of of our behaviors and our mental models and their failure to align with the complexity of markets. And and that's probably a good starting point is to point out how just complex the world is and companies operate in these very dynamic multivariate environments where it's extremely hard to track enough of the information in order to gain an edge and really be accurate a lot of the time. And so it requires tremendous work But with that work comes the price of overconfidence biases and illusions of control if you've overemphasized a particular investment position. And so these kind of methods, especially passive index funds, seem like a good remedy where you're just simply taking the human uh, mental model part of the equation out of it. They are. And there are some pitfalls associated with it, which we'll discuss. But just to kind of illustrate how difficult it is to outperform the S&P 500 once fees are extracted. The Standard & Poor's organization published a report in 2017 that showed that for the prior 15 years, 92% of actively managed large cap funds actually lagged the S&P 500. And with small and mid cap funds, it was even worse with 93 and 95% of the indexes outperforming managed counterparts. And this is important to keep in mind the time frame here. One could outperform the S&P and maybe in a short term, but it's, it's at long-term returns. To be able to do that consistently is maybe where it, it's really challenging and a lot of human behavioral biases are going to cause problems. Yeah, and so a lot of times it's, it's curious. Why would that be the case? The fees are one answer, uh, but it seems that the gap between managed funds and index funds is larger than just the fee component. And we've seen fee compression as a result of this as more and more investors move towards index products versus managed products. It's, it's interesting. There is a study done by Hendrik Bessenbinder of Arizona University. Basically, he looked at almost 26,000 stocks that traded from 1926 to 2015, 
and he found that the top 1,000 performers, less than 4% of the total, actually accounted for substantially all of the market's gains over that period. Incredible. It is pretty incredible. So what does that mean? If you think about it from an active manager's perspective, the chance that you have one or several of those names in your portfolio is going to be pretty low. Basically, there's 4% of the stocks in the market. And then do you sell it? If you think about Amazon, for instance, Amazon is one of the top performing stocks of the last 20 years. But there were massive, massive drawdowns of uh, 60%, 70% for Amazon along the way. And it would have been very easy to get shaken out. Now, maybe you could get re-engaged with the stock at some other point in time. But to have held through all of that volatility is very unlikely. Now, if you've got it within an index, then you don't even see it, right? It's just whatever fluctuations or volatility that occurs, you're going to participate in that. So you will capture a large percentage of these outperforming stocks within an index, and you're not likely to get shaken out with short-term volatility, some issue that arises that's very salient in the moment but not important in the long term that causes you to sell at a pretty inappropriate time. Yeah, it does seem to be like the essence of playing the long game. By doing that, you are missing opportunities, though. So it's not without the downsides. Certainly things like shifts in industry dynamics or opportunities that come about based on a particular breaking aspect of news, for instance, you won't be able to capture any of that with an ETF. So would you recommend maybe it's more for a longer term So one of the nice things about it is, and one of the reasons why I think you have a hard time for individual managers to be able to outperform indexes is time frame. And a manager is typically compensated on an annual basis, particularly if it's a performance-based compensation structure. When you compress the time frame like that, it's more difficult for them to have a longer-term perspective. Another element that should be considered is that the biases, the behavioral biases that can affect you as an individual manager looking at individual issues are much more prominent than if you're looking at an index as an individual investor and you're just dollar cost averaging. Basically, you're buying, you're taking a certain amount of your income every month and you're putting that into the market. And you're doing that regardless of what happens. Now, the key is to be able to stick with it. The problem for most individual investors is once the market starts to fall apart during a recession, they panic and they sell, and they sell typically at the wrong time. Whereas, at least in the United States, over time, being continuously invested in the market has significantly outperformed any attempt at market timing. And this is so fascinating because it seems as if there's a a recession and kind of a crisis moment that almost feels like the really the wrong time to to hold index tracker funds that are kind of mindlessly being managed. But it may actually be the right thing to do because of what you just said. Humans make these will often make an inference to sell at just the wrong time. And if you'd only held on to it, it would have recovered a lot of its value. That's certainly true of a lot of those uh, stats we talked about earlier and those reports. There's something about wanting a, 
a human being in charge of the money. And it's like a psychological comfort, I guess, that even though these stats are very weighted in terms of the the tracker kind of approach or the the algorithmic approach even, we tend to like the idea that someone's watching the storefront. We do, we do, but we pay for that as well. Let's say you pay a 1% fee and you take that out of your returns over a long period of time and compounding comes into effect. It can be quite dramatic. So they really need to justify their fees with performance. Yeah, so I guess that's another good place to go with this topic is you will definitely miss out on opportunities by buying an ETF and maybe say some things about what are the advantages of active management, why you should either use it or do it yourself. Active management, in certain instances, if you can find advantage, meaning that you can find some sort of an edge where you'll outperform the indices because you have some bit of knowledge or uh, you have a structural or behavioral approach that gives you an edge, you can have performance that is better than the market as a whole. But that is very rare. Typically, as a smaller investor, you have a lot of advantages to that extent. And you need to be able to understand the biases that will affect your decision making. Because if you don't, then there's typically going to have the same psychological issues that create underperformance for most active managers. For instance, if you think about an index fund, and and typically one of the issues associated with anything that's done well, and index funds, particularly the S&P 500 index fund, have significantly outperformed a lot of smaller funds over the last several years because there's been a very large progression away from active management in terms of assets towards index funds. And when that happens, then there's a crowding effect, and success begets success. If it becomes more and more popular for people to buy index funds, more people buy index funds. And so when you get in any situation where you have a crowding effect, like housing in 2007, then ultimately what will happen is the advantage that people find will end up being mitigated because the herd will start to run in the opposite direction. You know, if you ever have seen a school of fish that's swimming in a certain direction and then they abruptly shift and go the other way, then it just begets itself. And what happens is, is that within an index, those stocks that are more successful, they end up getting more and more capital over time. And we've seen that with a lot of these tech issues. But once you get to a point where you've had enough of a movement there and, and people start to second guess, then they'll all move in concert again, but just going in the opposite direction. And it'll be self-reinforcing on the way down like it was self-reinforcing on the way up. Now, that sounds very dire. And ultimately what happens is you get to a point where there's enough intervention or these things play themselves out to the point where these stocks are extremely cheap. Investors will re-enter the market and you'll see some sort of recovery. But it's in those times of volatility that an active manager may be able to find opportunity. If everybody is just blindly buying something within an index, ultimately there's mispricing that occurs. And if you believe that the economics of a business matter, and they should over a long period of time, if there's a large enough distortion on the upside or the downside because of index buying and selling of the group as a whole, then that creates its own opportunity. 
Yeah, really well put. I, I would like the analogy to the herd mentality that there's so many biological analogies that we end up getting into when you talk about markets. Okay, so uh, this is probably a good place to stop. What we've talked about today is uh, the role of active management versus passive management and some of the advantages that come about from things like index tracker funds and algorithmic funds versus active management. There's not only one way to do this. There are advantages and disadvantages. We're going to continue this as a series, so look for future podcast episodes on ways specifically to avoid biases in active management and ways that you can try to implement practices that uh, help you to better balance among a variety of the different biases. So we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dan and George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe, and thank you for listening.